podcast that you never made a deal with. We're also the show that didn't make the castle run in 12 parsecs, even if you round down. But we do provide an Asian perspective into the galaxy far, far away, as I almost fling my microphone off of my table. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Brian and Jay. Hello. Hello. On today's episode, get in, losers, we're going to Batu. <laughs> and yes, I did almost just fling my microphone off my desk. It's fine. Everything's fine. How are you guys? Sleep deprived. Other than that, pretty good. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is our January episode that you're getting in February because the world kept telling us that we were not recording. Um, we had some issues in January where uh, first Jay sounded like death and then something happened with the mixer and then something kept happening with the mixer. And then plan C, was it plan C, was to record at like 6 a.m. at Hollywood Studios, and then that failed? You know, it's probably for the best that one didn't work out. It would have been slightly distracted that morning. Okay, but it would have been great. You know why it would have been great? Because I would have dropped multiple F-bombs. I would not have known any of the words to the intro, except for something, something, Kajikast! And it would have been our hot mess of an episode. Tell you what, we can uh, we cre- we can recreate what we were attempting to do at Celebration. We'll just f- meet up somewhere at 5 a.m. Brian. Well, you know, we could technically go meet up at Disney at 5 a.m. We could, yes. It's literally not impossible at Celebration. <laughs> However, we're not going to do that. No. Yeah. So anyways, listeners, we love you, but we don't love you that much. No, but look, it was going to it would have been a great idea if it had worked out. So now we're here. Great ish. Should we talk about the news? Let's talk about the news. Okay. Uh, And then there's this. Uh, Jay, do you actually want to go over this one? Yeah, sure. So um, on uh, Hasan Minaj's Patriot Act show, um, in his latest season on Netflix, he had an episode called Don't Ignore the Asian Vote, and it addressed how Asians typically aren't accounted for in political campaigns. Um, it involved a discussion with Andrew Yang and Cory Booker about the Asian American vote, how to address the issues of that community, how there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution, especially um, because of the idea of the whole model minority myth that all Asians are... Uh, educated and successful and are doing well, um, which is not necessarily the case at all. And it discusses how broad, in fact, the term, the uh, umbrella of Asian American even is and how many different ethnicities and nationalities actually fall into the group. And he actually posted like a chart of all the different groups that fall under that label. And it's 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 quite a lot. It's more than you would expect, even if you are Asian, you think you're familiar with everything. There's there's a lot there. And um, unrelated to that episode, but in one of these short online clips that he uh, did about uh, Patriot Act, he had a short clip on how his name is pronounced. And for the longest time when he was on The Daily Show and even when he started his his own program, he would go as Hassan Minaj, which is a very Americanized way of saying it. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to start using my actual name, the way it's pronounced, and people are just going to have to deal with it. And now he goes by Hassan instead of Hassan. And that was kind of cool to see because I know at least growing up, um, a lot of Asians of all stripes either have pressure to change their name, like 
you know, my name is John or to Americanize their pronunciation. My brother certainly did that, for example. And it was kind of refreshing to see uh, people moving away from that and saying, no, this is what my name is and this is how it's pronounced. Yeah, I, I actually I saw that clip um, and it it, it was really cool. And uh, it's nice to see someone like that just saying, you know what? No, this is how it's pronounced. And learn to pronounce it because it's my name and I'm not changing that for you. I mean, if we can say Buttigieg, I think we can pretty much say any name, honestly. I am yeah. I am adopting that into my lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of the clip is how he was saying how he did it on The Ellen Show and his mom was watching was like, oh my God, what did you just do? <laughs> and he was like, nah, and he just kind of decided to do it. And I was like, I respect that. I 100% respect that. I uh, yeah, same. Big respect for that. Well, he and he made a cool point about that. He said it was like a generational thing whereas like his parents' generation or maybe the first generation generation to immigrate in the United States had this pressure to conform. They just wanted to belong and then their children who would grow up in the United States or we can say, you know, the West in general, um want to feel authentic to themselves and not necessarily, you know, fit themselves into a certain box. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, or not the sorry, him's the clip is pretty cool. Not the, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm tired, guys. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I I like that clip a lot. If you guys haven't been watching the Patriot Act, please do. I feel like we've talked about it before. Or am I just remembering when we started to record this episode last time and failed? No, I, I think we've talked about the show a couple times in the past. Okay, okay. Um, if not, go watch Patriot Act because it's I, great. I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned the the uh, segment he did on Video Game Crunch, which is if you're a if you're a gamer, you should absolutely absolutely watch that segment. Oh, yeah, yeah, I distinctly definitely. remember discussing it on this show, and I think the last time um, I was using the Americanized pronunciation as well. So it's definitely uh, been brought up before. Yeah. Uh, in other news, we are into award seasons and the Golden Globes happened and Aquafita won Best Actress for The Farewell and Parasite won Best Foreign Language Film, which is awesome for Parasite, but also complete BS because why, why couldn't it have been nominated with other dramas and everything like that? We just don't know. Um... And wasn't there some shenanigans with The Farewell having issues with what it was nominated for? I'm trying to remember if that was the Oscars or the Golden Globes, because I'm pretty sure The Farewell was like completely, wasn't it completely locked out of nominations entirely? Yeah, that was it. That was it. Um, and to clarify, it's not BS that it, it won Best Foreign Language Film, because that's awesome, but like also it should be eligible for other... It should have been in, like, best film, period, cat yeah. category. Yeah, which, thankfully, for the Oscars, it is. Um, it's eligible for... It's been nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, uh, Production Design, and Film Editing. Uh, and then in other nominations for Best Documentaries, Short Subject, In the Absence, which is about the sinking of a Korean ferry in 2014, was nominated. And so was St. Louis Superman, which is about... Activist in Missouri State Rep Bruce Franks Jr. inspired by Ferguson by and I'm gonna butcher names, I'm so sorry. Uh Smri Smriti? 
I think Moon- so, yeah. Okay. Smear uh, Smear Jay. I, Jay. Smear Mundra and Sami Khan, who are Thank two uh, Indian-American filmmakers. Yeah. And as a note, clearly what we talked about in item one is something I also need to get better at. Uh, and then finally, Tekuatiti was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Jojo Rabbit. Um, although I guess, oh, and that also got nominated for Best Picture, I believe. Yep. Yes. So yeah, Oscars are Sunday, right? Oh, Maybe? crap. That's, ooh, let me look that up. I know it's coming up soon. Soon? Uh, Oscars are, Google, you are failing me. Uh, February 9th, so yeah, yeah uh, this Sunday. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, in further Parasite news, uh, it's going to be a TV limited series on HBO, which I I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I'm still kind of curious to find out how that'll work. Yeah, and there's some interesting discussion about this because, like, the thinking was people were debating online, you know, are they trying to Americanize it? Like, what are they doing? Because one of the things, one of the interesting things about the film is um, it sort of resonated all around the world and people really got into it. And the director, Bong Joon-ho, um, basically said he was surprised at how well it resonated because he said, well, I made a very South Korean film, but it ended up having a very universal impact. And so the interesting question is, uh, was was Parasite just going to be an Americanized remake? And then uh, Bong Joon-ho actually came back and said, no, 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 it's not going to be um, an Americanized remake. I'm going to consider it as a continuation of the story I was already telling, which would be inter- interesting to see how he approaches that. Oh, fascinating. Cool. Is he also the director who did Snowpiercer? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because Snowpiercer has been in development for television for ages and ages and ages. So it'll be interesting to see which one of these television series eventually makes its way to screen first. <laughs> uh, actually, fun fact. what One of my high school classmates is appar- apparently a writer on it. Really? Huh. Yeah. Which, I mean, who knows if she's, if this is the version that we'll see. But yeah. Random tidbit. Uh, and other television news. And I swear I'm not the one who put this in the show notes. Toss a coin to your witcher! <laughs> I love The Witcher, guys. It is so good. So I haven't good. seen it yet. Oh, you need to. It's only eight episodes. You need to fix that. It, it's on. It's on my list. I just uh, do not have a lot of time to watch television right now for some odd reason. I know, but Jaskier is right up your alley, Brian. Oh no, is he a bard? That's He's yes. a bard. <laughs> best bard. Is he like? Is he like every D and D tropey bard ever? Yes. Oh, God, I'm going to yes. love him. There's also a point where he just goes, there I go, delivering exposition again. <laughs> and he has the best outfits. You would say that. You would say that. Um, but the reason we're bringing this up is that the actress who uh, who plays Yennefer, Anya Chalatra, is of mixed race. Uh, she's mixed race descent and she's part Indian. Uh, and then the showrunner, Lauren Hisrich, said that um, when she was casting the roles, she wasn't she wasn't limiting them based upon race. So, like, everything was open, which is how you get characters like Triss, who is, I believe in the games, uh, white with red hair, was played by a black woman, which was really cool. Um, 
And then what's the other note here, Jay? Yeah, so um, when she originally talked about how everything was open, um, she said, you know, Siri might be Asian was some, something she mentioned as a hypothetical. And that caused, you know, the usual uh, Twitter hordes to get upset. And um, she ended up having to leave Twitter because of being bombarded by people saying, no, Siri has to be white and blonde, which is what she ended up being. But, um, yeah, this is why we can't have nice things sometimes. <sighs> Why, it's all fake. It's all fantasy and fake. Uh, also, if you haven't seen the show yet, I highly recommend it. Like, at some point, we should talk about it on the show, Brian. Absolutely. Yeah? It, it's yeah. it's on my list. If we do, we'll have to get Kate to come guest. Because I know she has lots of feelings about The Witcher. Um, <laughs> also about Henry Cavill. So she and I can talk about the bathtub scenes. And you guys, well, Jay can chill out. I mean, <laughs> right. I w I'm also very happy to talk about yes. Henry Cavill in a bathtub. So. Right. That man is the biggest nerd and I love it. Um, yeah, The Witcher. It's pretty great. And you can now get the soundtrack, which is awesome. Because you couldn't do that originally. Oh, nice. Yeah, Netflix is very stingy about releasing soundtracks, but this show's soundtrack was such a hit and so many people wanted it that they actually released it. And I believe the show designers intended it to be released, so it's it's good that they got that chance for it to come out. Yeah. And actually, didn't they announce they were releasing it on like the first day of the Disney trip or something? And Netflix, I think they made the announcement with um with a meme from Arrested Development. And they edited the text to be, here, go toss a coin to your Witcher. Yes. <laughs> I have saved that forever. Oh, um, Lucille Bluth. Yep. Brian, I'm going to let you take the next one. Yes, so uh, voice actor Hank Azaria uh, of Simpsons fame is retiring from voicing Apu on The Simpsons. Um, he was on... Um, Oh crap. Uh which late night show um the one Letterman did. <laughs> and uh I'm My tired. next guest needs no introduction. <laughs> uh yeah, I'm very tired okay. and my brain is not working. Um Colbert. He was on Colbert oh. uh a while ago and talked about um talked about uh the controversy surrounding Apu and the Simpsons that bubbled up a couple years ago. And at that point he said, uh, he, he didn't, he didn't, he essentially didn't want to voice a character that was causing harm to marginalized communities. And now at this point we are now, um, we find out that Hank Azaria is no longer going to do the voice. Um, we don't know yet what the Simpsons is going to do with the character, whether they're going to recast for it or um, just not include Apu uh, in the series anymore. But um, I I'm going to say that it's it, it's really good that Hank Azaria was plugged in and saw that, yeah, this was causing harm. It's less great that no one else with the Simpsons apparently thought it was a problem and went as far to make fun of the whole thing in an episode a year or so ago. So yeah, um, I don't know where they're going with Apu from there. Uh, props to Hank Azaria, less props to everyone else with the Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in happier news, 
uh, the to all the boys I love before the sequel is going to launch on Netflix on February twelfth, which I am excited about because that the first movie was super cute, and I also really enjoy all of the books. And then I think, uh, sorry, I wrote down Netflix, but I meant Amazon Prime. I believe that's also the same day that the farewell is going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, I could be wrong about that because I forgot to double check myself, but huh. yeah, could be a busy, a good movie day. No kidding. Yep. Um, and then, Jay, this last one is you. Sure. So uh, Issa Briones, who's the uh, one of the two protagonists of Star Trek Picard, along with Patrick, Sir Patrick Stewart himself, um, is uh, a new, uh, brand new uh, Filipino-American actress in a awesome genre franchise show. Uh, she was also Eliza, Eliza Schuyler and Maria Reynolds in Hamilton um, starting a couple of years ago, starting in 2018 as well. So some of you may recognize her from that. And uh, Picard's a great show and she's great in it. So highly encourage folks to watch it. So, Jay, I can ask you this. Um, I have not seen any of the TNG films past First Contact. Am I able to jump in and watch Picard if I have not seen... Uh, nemesis and whatever the other one was oh absolutely like i'm a very sort of casual star trek fan i've only seen like the old films and i like watched the tv shows as a kid i can't tell you anything about them i don't remember a thing and i was immediately uh hooked into uh picard just like right away the plot grabbed me oh awesome because the it's, next generation it's, it's character based yeah the next but, generation was my jam and uh yeah uh, I'm excited. For, I'm excited to watch it, and uh, I'm excited that one of the protagonists is Filipino and American. Awesome work on the casting. Yeah. Uh, also, I think I can't remember. I I talked to a friend of mine a while back about what I would need to watch from TNG and the movies. I think he gave me a list of like five episodes that I could check out. I if I find where I put that post note, I can share it with you too, Brian. Oh, I I mean I've seen all of TNG. Um, so I think it inc- I think Nemesis might have been on there, but ooh, yeah. Okay, I I I know that Nemesis has a reputation of being um bad. Oh, and in fun Brian, facts, um, in garbage, Star Trek, the garbage will do. <laughs> and in fun facts about Star Trek Picard, the um, Starfleet headquarters in that show is the Anaheim Convention Center. So there's our Star Wars uh, Star Trek crossover because Star Wars Celebration will be there. And has been there in the past. We'll see its celebration uh, this August. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> I especially appreciate it because we just got back from uh, our Disney trip where one of our friends was walking, specifically wore her Starfleet cardigan to walk around uh, Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> I expect the crossover costumes will be amazing this time as well. And this time they'll say, hey, we're in Starfleet. What are all these strange aliens we've never seen before? Perfect. Um, I was trying to segue, Jay. <laughs> you ruined my segue. It's our discussion topic of the week. That's why. That's okay. Segways tend to crash into things anyway. Uh, Jay, I'm going to take you back to Epcot and leave you on the racist Mexican ride. No, not the three caballeros. Okay. So, we're going to talk about Galaxy's Edge this month because we were actually going to talk about the Rise of Skywalker and then shenanigans happened. And so, given that we both Jay and I just got back from a trip down to Disney to see 
to visit Batu, and Brian happens to, you know, live in that area and met us up there, met up with us there for Batu. It seemed like an appropriate thing to talk about. So we're going to talk about Galaxy's Edge, and it's going to be great, and there's going to be a lot of feelings. I think I actually have a, my one of my few notes in here is general feels, because there were so many of them. General so, feels reporting in. Brian, do you remember your first... So for out of the three of us, this was my first visit to Batu, but not your guys. Yes, correct? so my yep. first visit was um, back in August of last year. Um when uh, WDI or uh, when Walt Disney Imagineering was doing a cast preview uh, to kind of stress test the park. And a friend of ours, um, who's an Imagineer over there, uh, brought us to see it. Um, and uh, I-, I remember walking through um, through the tunnel that uh, separates uh, separates kind of Hollywood's, the rest of Hollywood Studios from Galaxy's Edge. And it, it was immediately like you were being transported into another world, just walking through that tunnel. And my jaw just hit the floor, just seeing an X-Wing over there and an A-Wing over there. Just your first steps in are mind-blowing. And it only gets crazier from there. Uh, you walk through this marketplace that looks like it's ripped right outside of Star Tours. You walk past a uh, little quick service food vendor and you turn a corner and then you see the Millennium Falcon. One-to-one scale, full size, according to Lucasfilm, the most accurate rend- it is. It is considered the source of truth on the Millennium Falcon. And it's just right there in front of you in all its glory, and I started crying. And the tears just did not stop the rest of the day I was there. Yeah, um, so when we first walked in, our friend Aaron was like, does anyone want me to record video? And I was like, yes, because who doesn't want a video of themselves just breaking down crying? Um, And we walked in, and... It's so cool how they were able to do it. So you kind of walk through a bit of a tunnel and you can't see what's on the other side. And then you step through and, oh my God, you're in Star Wars. And I got super emotional. And then I saw an X-Wing and an A-Wing and I just flung myself at uh, my friend Brandon. And we, I, was, I think I was crying on his shoulder and he was we were all crying because it's amazing and you can't, it's hard to put into words exactly how it makes you feel because you think you know, but you don't. Like, even if you're big into Harry Potter, you don't... Walking into Hogwarts, this... That has nothing on going to Batu for me, at least. Um, and then I remember, as after we kind of got through the initial wave, Aaron was like, all right, do you want to just get all the crying over with and just go see the Falcon now? I was like, yes, let's just go do that. Uh... I, I don't know how they pulled it off besides being inc- amazing at what they do, but wow. Just wow. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy because like we, you know, we've all seen photos of Batu before we came there. So, you know, we, we've seen it all. And even though you've seen it, it, it does nothing uh, to dull what it's like being there in person. Like the, 
it it's larger than life like you know it's the it's the sound it's the smell like the the ambience of the park like completely changes it's a different background sound you cannot see the rest of disneyland with you you're immediately transformed like you're in another world and everything around you and your brain just suddenly flips a switch and you're like wait i'm in star wars now and i think that's sort of the the craziest thing about it is you it it, it is like like a weird sense of magic that you're actually there. And I remember the first time I was there, uh, which coincidentally was on the same weekend as Brian and Nancy, although I was in the uh, Disneyland version of the park my first trip. I don't think I wanted to leave. Like I was doing, I was just like loitering around the marketplace. I was looking at everything five or six times. Like, you know, there was only one ride open at the time, the Millennium Falcon. It didn't matter. I just wanted to stay there and not, uh, you know, I wish they sold apartments. I would have had an apartment there on Batu and never left if I could. Yeah, I remember when we, because um, we didn't go in on this trip, we didn't go in immediately. We we kind of waited for the initial rush of people and needed coffee before we went over. Um, but once we went inside, it was, Jay, it was only you, me, and our friend Laura who left for even a little bit of time. And it was so jarring when we walked out of the park to go ride a roller coaster. And then you walk back in and there's just like the sense of calm because, oh, it's Star Wars, and it's—I don't know how they pulled it off. I really don't. It, I, I, it's one of the most staggering feats I've seen uh, Walt Disney Imagineering pull off. Like they're—they're they're pretty good about being able to segment various sections of their theme park off from each other. But I've never been to anywhere in any one of their parks where you completely forget. Yeah, there's another sixty percent of a theme park on the other side of this area I'm in. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I, you know I know theme parks aren't for everyone. Sometimes there's too many people, too much walking, all that. But like Galaxy's Edge is such a different experience that I think even people who don't really enjoy being in the theme parks and and some of the folks um, on our trip were like that. They they weren't really theme park people, but Batu has that has that ambiance that it just it's quieter. It's calmer. And even with all the people, because it, 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 you know, it's full of people, but you don't feel like it's crowded. You don't feel like it's rushed. You feel like it's you're just on Batu. Yeah. I mean, it was worth getting up as early as we did. Uh, for reference, uh, in order to get a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance, which we're going to talk about later. Um, and uh, we had the park opened at 7 a.m., which meant you had to be through security and officially inside of the park at 7 a.m. when it opened in order to have a chance getting a boarding group, um, which was all done on the app. So we got there. We left. What? You guys came came by the room at, what, 5.45 in the morning, right, Jay? Yeah, 5.45. Yeah. Uh, we got to the park around 6.10, and it was already packed with people. Uh, they started letting us in. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend getting there before 6 a.m. if anyone's listening to this and planning their trip because mm-hmm. – uh, they start letting people in at like 6.30 and as long as you're inside, you're good. But getting there at 4 a.m., it doesn't matter. Like, you're not going to be, you're not in the actual queue. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were so many people there and you know everyone who was there at 6 a.m. was trying to get on the ride. Uh, which, shout out, Jay is our hero. <laughs> Jay, Jay got us the boarding group. <laughs> that was the first time I cried that morning. <laughs> I was so relieved. I think I, I like hugged Jay and I was like, crying without actual tears it was such a relief it's like we were like stressing for like i think not just the entire morning but like just 
in the back of our heads before then. And the moment the button clicked and it said boarding group 55, it was just like, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen. Yeah, I melted. <laughs> there was there was melting. There was there was. Yeah. Um, but for other stuff for Batu related, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the food. And the drink and all of that stuff because they've got the Ronto Wrap Place, they've got Docking Bay Seven, they have Oga's Cantina. Do you? They've got all the different stands with like the food and the drink around there. Do you guys have favorites? Um, and actually, specifically, Diane asks us if you have a favorite food and drink. Ah, uh, yeah. So I mean, Disney does not play around when it comes to food and drink in their theme parks. It's an important part of their experience, and they've somehow managed to take it to another level. Uh, with Galaxy's Edge, there's so many good options. Um, but uh, my favorite food item is probably actually just the walk-up uh, quick service Ronto wrap you can get. Um, it's it might be my favorite uh, quick service item in all of Walt Disney World. Uh, favorite drink? Um, I am partial to the jet juice at uh, Oga's Cantina. It's uh, is bur- that the thing that you melted your brain? Yes, it is because it's bourbon mixed with chili liqueur. I'm sorry, it's what bourbon mixed with chili liqueur. That's so good. It is so so good. Oh my! <laughs> no wonder you said your brain was. You're about to melt your brain before you took that shot. <laughs> wow. Uh, how about you, Jay? Yeah, so uh, for me, food can be sometimes challenging at a Disney park because first I'm a vegetarian, then I tend to be a particularly picky vegetarian that doesn't very much enjoy vegetables. But here's the thing about Galaxy's Edge. Because all the food is themed, I, I decided that, you know what? They're not vegetables if they're in space. I'll actually, <laughs> if you put the Star Wars label on them, I will eat it. I, I, I know I sound like a small child with the little jet yes! thing being in my mouth, but listen, look. <laughs> Uh, so for point of reference in Disneyland, uh, they have a dish called the Thorian garden loaf, which is like a plant-based meatloaf leaf dish where they serve it with rice, bean sprouts, and some carrots. And it's deliciously cooked and it's just fantastic. So if you're at Disneyland, you can have that at Disney world. They don't have that. Instead, they have a Felucian garden spread, which is a, um, spinach based hummus with, um, uh, fake meat uh, meatballs made out of uh, different soy protein materials and quinoa that's deliciously spiced and absolutely tasty served with pita bread both of those are very healthy surprisingly very delicious and very vegetarian and i love those um as Jay, far as I, to know, I am now really disappointed that no one in our group at ogas tried to pick up a vegetable and recreate that art of han from the e essential reader companion <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> I'm sorry. Continue. What was your favorite drink? Do tell yeah, me. Yeah, so I have to be a little biased on this one. So I've tried I've tried a fo- couple of four different options. Like, I've tried the one that that numbs your lips. I think it's like the Best Bin Fizz or something. And I've tried a couple of other ones. But I, I just got to say I love the Tonneray, which is, um, you know, it's a white wine, but they've colored it. A sort of teal, like a light teal, so it actually looks like the Tonneray that you hear described in like Bloodline, the other Star Wars books, where it, it it's actually described as 
wine sourced from the former planet of Alderaan. And the fact that it exists in the real Star Wars theme park is just my favorite thing. Yeah, I was really glad that someone in our group got that so I could look at it. I love that it's actually that color blue. Yep. It's so cool. Uh, I guess I mean, so my favorite, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I love the popcorn. It's really good. And I'm not a popcorn person, nor am I necessarily like a spicy food person, but it has just the right mix of sweet and like a little bit of a kick to it. Plus it's purple and red, which are like my favorite colors um, that I really, really liked it a lot. And to be fair, I also mostly got the popcorn originally because I wanted the mouse droid. Um, you can get a mouse droid popcorn holder. It's so cool. I, it's I so we, cool. we got one. It's sitting in Owen's room right now. And yeah, it's it's very neat. He's a good rolly boy. He is a good rolly boy. Yeah, and the wheels work, don't they? They, they yeah. do, yeah. You can actually pull it along behind you. Yes! God. Um... And then for drink, so uh, I don't drink alcohol, so I I was kind of a little worried that the options for me in Ogus Cantina weren't going to be as as many, but they actually had a really nice assortment of non-alcoholic drinks, and if we had had a little bit more time slash we hadn't been stressing out, I would have gotten another one, but I tried the Jabba Juice and I liked it a lot. And yeah. I also really liked the blue milk. Not as much as Jay, but I liked the blue milk. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the mocktail options they have at Ogres are really good just across the board. Yeah, speaking of blue milk, how many times did I have it? Like four times, five times? I really love the blue milk. And <laughs> at least. Did you get it for, with the for rum any time? For those of you that don't like dairy, um, it's, it's not actual milk. It's like a coconut-based um, substance with a lot of tropical fruit juices and star fruits and it's just it's it's delicious and i god i hope they serve at celebration proper and not just the theme park because i will drink i will drink (laughs) it anytime it's offered to me i i know they don't offer it with the rum at disneyland did you try it at disney world with the rum you know i actually had it without the rum just because i just wanted the pure unadulterated blue milk ah gotcha he went back at least four times. It was really kind of funny. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration. It was actually at least four times. My favorite was when we were standing in front of the First Order. So the, the milk stand is in the First Order section. Why, I'm not entirely sure, except I guess the First Order wants you to drink milk and grow up big and strong. Um, so you can become a Stormtrooper recruit. Exactly. Uh, but we were standing there taking pictures, and I think we ran into a guy who had a cool Baby Yoda puppet. We had just gotten the Blue Milks. Yours vanished in like a minute. And then we're standing there again. And we weren't there more than half an hour. And then you go back and get another one <laughs> within it's that same vanished. half hour. Yeah, I was I was impressed. Um and also I didn't I didn't dislike the green milk, which I feel like a lot of people <sighs> there were things that a lot of people told me about Galaxy's Edge that I think lowered my expectations about some things and i'm kind of glad they did because i was like oh it's fine like i prefer the blue milk but i didn't hate the green milk yeah the green milk's fine i i definitely personally prefer the blue milk yeah and some people seem to like you know it's either one or they like some people just really love the green and some people really love the blue and you know whatever whatever you end up liking is good you know it's all star wars yeah oh random note i'm gonna say uh that i meant to say before we got into the food and drink but Galaxy's Edge might be the one time where paying for the photo pass stuff is worth it. 
Yes. Because they have their photographers so perfectly placed around the parks. And thankfully, we're with uh, annual pass holders, so we were able to get our pictures. But they have some spots by the Falcon. They've got like a nice sort of above view. I'm assuming they have this at both Disneyland and Disney World. I'm mostly talking about World. Um, one kind of in front of the Falcon. You can get a cool picture by the X-Wing. But yeah, it's that's one of those where like they figured out the lighting so well and they've got the angles down pat. Absolutely do it. Like, just get the pictures. That's my new profile picture right now on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it is stunning how amazingly they came out. Like, night or day, like the daylight pictures were beautiful. And then the, the nighttime pictures with the lightsabers, like, it, they look like visual effects lightsabers. And these are just the ones you get. I mean, not just the ones, but these are the ones from Galaxy's Edge and they look spectacular. Yeah. And I don't think they did any, they didn't do any editing. No, right? that's, uh... no, because even the regular photos looked great. Yeah. yeah, those are totally untouched. Yeah. I mean, the picture I got when we first got there in front of the Falcon, I'm like, holy crap. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything else food and drink we want to touch on? Or? I'm guessing no. Uh, if you're a fan of beer and novelty things, uh, get the Gold Squadron Lager at uh, Docking Bay 7 because uh, the tap handle is a flight stick. That's beautiful. I feel like that. I know the one thing I want to do when I go back there is get that dessert thing they had at Docking Bay 7 because it was so cool and space-like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a thing that, I think Lara got it and it looked really cool and it was chocolate and it looked like space and that's all I need in life. Um, okay, next on the list, uh, we could talk about the shops, but they kind of, if you've seen anything online, you've kind of seen them, uh, the Droid Depot, it was cool to go into, I like some of the jewelry they had there, you basically know what you're going to see when you go to Doc Ondar's, and you will not get out of there without spending a lot of money, heads up, uh, lightsaber crystals are like crack, um, but speaking of lightsaber crystals, let's talk about building lightsabers, <laughs> Because that was one hell of an experience. Savi's workshop is such an incredible experience. Yeah, uh, so we've all built at this point, right? Yeah. And you guys got to observe this time we went around when we went, because we had a pretty big party with us. Uh, When you go, you have to make a reservation. Thank you, Brian. You were welcome. And uh, and then when you do, you're allowed to have one person observing with you, which is kind of cool. Um. The one thing I like is how immersive the experience is, even when you arrive, because it's set up so that they're just like, oh, it's a salvage shop. Like, don't worry about it. Like, there's, it's all junk here. And if first order stormtroopers come by while you're making a purchase, they will halt all activity immediately. Apparently. And just like make it all that much more immersive. Yeah, and if like the stormtroopers were looking at the lightsaber handles, like these, oh no, these are just speeder bike handles. There's nothing, nothing going on here. Like they were very dedicated to to making it, making convincing that they could have a lightsaber building area on a planet occupied by the first order. Yeah, um, and then the experience itself is super cool. Like I don't want to go too in depth for it to it in case anyone else gets to experience it themselves, but. Everything they have in there, there's like the gatherers help you put together the lightsaber. Um, and then there's one, their lead gatherer, whose name I can never remember. Kempe? 
something like that. Something like that. Um, who for when I built my lightsaber, he kind of looked like Matt Smith. So that's where Matt Smith was in Star Wars, guys. He's apparently in that table. We found him. We did. <laughs> it took me until after we got out of the experience to realize like what he made, what his hair made me think of. Um, but he kind of does a bit of a monologue, and it's so beautifully timed with the music and the lighting and everything that I'm very, very impressed with how they pull it off. Um, and there was also an aspect. Should I say the blade thing, sort of? I I would say that um, there was a very, very, very creative conceit um, yes. that helps to preserve the immersion because you know how you know how these prop and replica lightsabers work. There's a giant fluorescent tube on the end of the lightsaber handle and you're wondering to yourself okay how are you going to attach that without totally breaking the experience and they found a very great way to do it i was very impressed um so yeah if you have the experience it's it's a little bit of a pricey thing to do but i will say as someone who now owns three lightsabers two hundred dollars for a custom-made lightsaber with sound that you can change the crystal in and that experience is absolutely worth it. Oh yeah. I mean like uh, one of the lightsabers you can buy just from just out of the shop in Doc Honors goes from, for like $150. And it's like, even if you, you know, if you think, Oh, I'm not really into the Jedi stuff or the force stuff. They do the experience so well that you're, that you're sold into the whole mystical aspect of it. And the fact that you can customize your lightsaber and put your own personality into it, I think adds a lot to it. And, and like Bria said, like collecting the, the Kyber crystals is like crack. Like they have different colors. They do different things. They integrate with the holocrons. Like you, even if you don't care about Kyber crystals and the Jedi, you will care about them when you, when you do this experience, it's that well done. I was super skeptical of the experience when I built my lightsaber. Um, our imagineering friend, uh, said, Hey, I've got, uh, I got some spots inside of Savi's. Uh, we should go build a lightsaber. And I kind of hemmed and hawed. I didn't want to drop the uh, money for it. I didn't really want to build a lightsaber. Um, but he convinced me that, no, trust me, this is a marquee experience at Galaxy's Edge. And he was absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, even two of my housemates who all they know about all of this is like what I've been telling them. They're in total awe of the lightsaber I built. Um, and I showed them last night how it comes apart and how you can change out the kyber crystal, which, by the way, is an actual crystal. Um, and they just thought it was the coolest thing, especially once I started putting the crystals in the holocron. And they were just like, oh, this is so neat. Uh, I will say, if you're indecisive, I would look up online what the different kits are. Because you have four different... There's four different kits that you can choose to build your saber from. So... That's something to think about. Um, okay. Uh, anything else about the lightsabers or? If you're I mean, just again to, to, to underscore how cool those kyber crystals are. I mean, not only do they change the color of the blades, like they change the sound of the blades. You put in that red crystal, it's going to sound like a Sith lightsaber. You put in a blue crystal, it's going to sound like the classic Skywalker lightsaber. And the fact that 
All the holocrons have different things they do with them. Uh, Sith holocrons do funny things when you put Jedi crystals into them, and Jedi crystals do funny things when you put Sith crystal uh, Sith crystals into them. Um, it, it it is just really really fun the way that they've done this, and it's kind of magical. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of very clever and creative thought that went into this whole thing. If you're on the fence and you can afford it, trust me, you will not be disappointed. Yeah. You know what's funny is I didn't actually notice the sound thing. It was my housemate last night who pointed it out, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and I'm also totally planning on getting the two crystals I don't have yet the next time I'm down there. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. And also, if you're old, not the old, old Republic fans, the uh, Seth Holocron design in particular comes back from uh, not the old Republic too. So it's a thing that made it into canon through the Clone Wars and Rebels, and now it's in Galaxy's Edge, and you can get it in person. I'm trying so hard to be good and not get the Sith one, but man, it's, it's so, so pretty cool looking, isn't it? It's my aesthetic. <laughs> it's the design is so good. Like it has the carvings, the lines. On it. That's what because they had both of them available. And I'm like, you know, I, I you know, yeah, the, the good guys, but also the stuff looks so much cooler. It does. Everything's red. So actually, when I was building my saber, um, I got the what is it? Power and something. They have names for each of the kits, and mine is the one that you would think would be, like, the dark side one, because, and the, the gatherer was asking me, like, why I picked that one, and I was like, oh, because, like, it's all black and, and red and silver, and that's my aesthetic, so he was like, oh, so you're building a, um, your, your hybrid crystal, did you pick red? I said, no, I picked purple. He went, what about your aesthetic? <laughs> I was like, it is part of my aesthetic, it's just, you know, a little something extra. And honestly, Sith Lord should be able to use purple too. I mean, purple and red just really go well together. They do, especially with black. I mean, yeah. Because you were standing right by me, right? When I yes. was building with me and Brandon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was fun. I'm so happy with my lightsaber. And I can't wait to go observe when uh, I'm going to, I'm going again with someone. And I can't wait to watch them build their saber. And that's the thing. Like, even, even if you don't want to, to shell out for for the for the experience if you have a friend who's going and you can just observe it like it's it's magical just being there and i think all of us have have built it at some point but just witnessing it and feeling it is, is worth it in itself yeah jay did you build a droid i did not build a droid i was thinking about it um i ended up only doing the lightsaber experience although one thing i learned this time since one of our friends built a droid is that um, not only can you choose between uh, astromech designs, I think you can have an R2 design, a BB-8 design, or a BB-9E design, and they all come in multiple colors. Mm -hmm. um, you can also buy personality chips for them um, that oh. sort of affects how they behave. And so there's like a, a resistance personality, there's a fringe personality, and of course there's the dark side, Imperial First Order personality, which of course we all know is the best one for droids. You want your droid yes. to be a snitch? It's only a if snitch he's if you're to being me. evil. Exactly. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I'm th I'm considering it because that's uh, definitely a lot cheaper than the lightsaber experience. I'm thinking about doing it the next time, but uh, I do know that if you're if you're trying to decide between the droid and the lightsaber, that our friend who did both when we were down there, she definitely liked the lightsaber one better. Um, granted, everyone's different, but just one data point for you guys. 
Um, and the droid stuff is really cool in universe to like, you know, the droid shop looks like a salvage yard. They have a bunch of different droids, you know, droid chassis and all the, and all the closets and then all the packaging. K2! Droids. Yes, K2, K2 is in a cage. Was, uh, I'm not okay with it. Poor K2. He did his best. I don't know how he's like there at the cage and I think he got go- went boom, but you know. It's fine. <sighs> Tarkin only blasted the top part of the tower when he was aiming specifically at Kranich. I mean, that fits. Yeah. But uh, all the droids also have like industrial automaton packaging and all this immersive like EU lore that we've, you know, been used to. And it's now in real life and it's on actual packaging on products and Galaxy's Edge. And that's one of the things like, yeah, it's a lot of merch, but it's all in universe. And, you know, they don't have big Star Wars labels on them. They just say they just look like they're handcrafted stuff. And that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, Jay, why don't you explain the credit ship thing? Oh, yes. So um, one of the cool things they have at Galaxy's Edge, which at uh, Disney World you can get at the droid shop and at Disneyland you can get at the resistance shop, is they have a gift card that's actually a metallic credit chip, a Batu Spira, which is their local currency. It has an engraved um, Black Spire logo on it. And it's a heavy metal chip that uses um, contactless payment. Um, it's a minimum $100 you have to put on it, but it's $100 in gift card currency, which means if you're spending money around the park anyway, um, it, the, the credit chip itself is free as long as you're spending $100 that day anyway. And you get to keep the chip and you can reload it like a gift card and basically do all your transactions in Galaxy's Edge by plopping down a credit chip, which... I have to say, when we were at the cantina and, and plopping down credits to pay for my drinks was one of the coolest things I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely getting one the next time I go to Galaxy's Edge. Um, should we talk about the rides? Heck yes. yes. Yeah. So we're going to start with the Falcon. Uh, it's called what? Smuggler's Run, right? Smuggler's Run. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing for that is that uh, you... If you read the book Pirate's Price, Pirate's Price, I think. Yeah, it was a middle grade book by Lou Anders um, about Hondo. You know that he has uh, sort of acquired the Millennium Falcon on temporary loan. And the whole thing is he asks, you have to go do a mission for him. Um, I won't say exactly what, but there are six people in a group. Two of you are piloting, two of you are the gunners, and two people are engineering. Uh, and number one, the Hondo animatronic is so good. Right? So supposedly that is like the second most advanced animatronic Walt Disney Imagineering has ever produced. Is the first one the one on the Navi River ride? Yes. Figured. I I can't believe like Hondo. Who would have thought we would get a Hondo animatronic? Like, that was so cool. Um. And he looks living and breathing like he's very convinced because, like, you know, we're used to seeing animatronics on Disney rides. Like, you know, we were riding uh, what was like the Little Mermaid ride and it looked like the uh, the soulless animatronics were about to, you know, stare into our souls. But uh, the Hondo, he looks convincing. He has a jacket that moves and, and, and alters when he's moving his arms around his face. His eyes all have expressions. It's a very, very impressive job they do with him. Yeah. Um, and then, so once you get your mission briefing from Hondo, you move into, uh, the common area of the Falcon, which was really neat. And I actually thought that I, we would have more time there than we did. 
And I was hoping to get a couple more pictures because, you know, you see everyone posting them on Twitter, but you don't really, if it's anything like when we were there, you don't actually have all that much time. So, like, be prepared to get a picture at the table as soon as you walk in before they call your group. Yeah, that's been my experience every time I've been on the ride is, I mean, credit to credit to them for moving people through the ride so quickly. But you've only got a couple moments to get your picture at the Dejaric table before your group's called. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they don't have you linger just a little bit longer in there, but it's sufficient. So we never saw the ride go, the wait time go over 60 or 70 minutes, which is pretty good, I think. At least the day we were there. Um, and then you get to pilot or you you get a card with what your job is. And when I went through, I was very intent on piloting. And because it was the trip was technically for my birthday, my friends were kind of going to let me do what I wanted, which I appreciated very much. Uh, so I took one of the pilot seats and my friend Brandon took, was my co-pilot. Specifically, you took the right hand pilot seat. Yes, because Brian told me to. Um, because that means you get to make a jump to hyperspace. Uh, the one thing I will say is if you are going to pilot the Millennium Falcon, please make sure it's with someone you know and can work with. (laughs) Uh, You gotta be drift compatible for that thing. Okay, in my and Brandon's defense... If we had realized earlier that one of us was controlling up and down and that one of us was controlling side to side, it would have gone better. (laughs) It is so hard, though, because it's like, you know, you have to really coordinate and like communicate. And, you know, it's like even if you think you're good at like flying stuff and like flight simulator games, when you're relying on somebody else to do the compensating directions and it is hard. Yeah. Okay. And mine, Brandon's defense, it was fine. It didn't go great. No one died. It was fine. <laughs> the ship was sparking and all that stuff, but you know. No, it's it was fine. Look, we got we got the cargo. It was fine. So, did you get both uh, things of coaxium? I don't think so. Just oh. the one. Our engineer was a hack. I, I don't remember who our engineer was. I actually I have no idea. <laughs> Jay, were you one of our gunners? I was one of the gunners. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know when we went through the second time with Brian, you were an engineer. Engineer is actually my favorite position to play on that ride, uh, because somehow uh, Disney has found a way to make quick time events fun. That's the one I didn't get to try. I did. I did gunner. I like I was much better at being a gunner than I was at flying. I think you'd like I think you'd like engineer. It's a very it's a very reactionary position uh, and you get to hound all the glory uh, when you fix everyone else's screw ups. (laughs) That's true because like your scoring is based on not only how well you do, but how much. Then you get penalties for taking damage, but then the engineers can mitigate that by actually fixing the ship. Um, and the second time around, we did it. I I was the pilot that time. We actually got pretty close to getting the maximum score. I was very happy about that. Um, but it's one of those things where you have to do it several times to sort of get used to the pattern. But the very fun thing about the ride is it's like. It's a simulator, but it's not because it actually reacts to what you're doing like a video game and stuff that happens changes based on whether you crash, but whether you miss certain objectives, like it, your experience is going to be different each time based on how well your crew does, which is amazing. Yeah. And the fast pass for the Falcon is now available in Walt Disney World, or it should be available now. Correct. Yeah. It um, just went available. Yeah. So which is pretty cool. I think, I think I want to pilot again when I go the next time, but I was much better at gunner, but now that I know, like, you get, they take away credits each time you fire the controls, I'm going to be more tactical next time. 
<laughs> if I've ever done her again. Um, yeah, was there anything else about the Falcon ride we wanted to talk about? It's a ride that has a ton of re-ride value just because there's so many different positions and it the experience changes a little bit each time when you're riding with different people. Um, and it also seems like a ride that's modular, which means I would not be surprised if different ride experiences come for this ride. Oh, yeah, like with Star Tours, like yep. an update it. Mm-hmm. The other cool thing is, so if you're not doing the fast pass line, don't despair because like the regular standby line takes you right over the top of the physical Millennium Falcon they've built, and you can see close up a view of like the thrusters, the top of the ship, the details that you can't see when you're on the ground or when you're on the balcony, and that ship, you know, is the most phenomenal piece of junk you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, it's it's an exceedingly cool standby line. That's so cool. And like, I liked the Falcon enough that. You guys had to drag me out of the park, more or less, because I wanted to go ride it a third time that night. I was like, look, the line's only down to 40 minutes. Can we go? And you're like, no, Bria, we're going to watch the fireworks. I was like, what? You're like, fireworks. Also, while you're waiting in line, they have the uh, the data pad app where you can do uh, certain jobs. And so you can do jobs around the park, uh, the Galaxy's Edge, that involve like scanning objects and stuff. But then each of the rides have special jobs you can do while you're on the, the, the ride itself for either the first order or the resistance. So even if you're you know by yourself, not with a party and you're bored, bring your phone with you and, and do the app and you'll have fun with that. Yeah. Anything else about the Falcon? It's really cool. You'll have a lot of fun on it. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about Rise of the Resistance next. Um, if we can figure it out, we're going to try and give you a... Try to jump ahead a couple minutes. Brian, are we able to put in the show notes where they should jump? Uh, I Maybe. just marked in here where we are talking about this right now. But uh, if you got to this point and you didn't read the notes, abandon ship until you've done the ride and then come back and listen to the rest of the episode yeah or go look at the show notes because those will be a thing um so i want to start off by saying that rise of the resistance i absolutely think you should go in unspoiled i i I absolutely agreed but we're gonna talk about it because it was the fucking coolest thing i've ever done worth the one allotted f-bomb yes it is (laughs) um I, I'm, st- it's been over a week and I'm still not over how cool that ride is. It is 18 and a half minutes and holy forking shirt balls. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. I, and I'm a theme park snob. It takes a lot to impress me and I cannot stop thinking about this ride. Brian, I want you to know that it means a lot to me that I have been able to witness now your first ride of Flight of Passage, which we refer to as the life-changing field trip, (laughs) and that I got to be there for your first rise of the Resistance, because those two rides are amazing. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Jay, even for you, uh, you know, the Imperial guy. Pretty cool, right? Oh my god, the... The... the, the, uh, the it it makes you almost speechless, like just the vistas they've created and the experience they created. Like, you know, even Galaxy's Edge itself, you know, you're in Star Wars, but when you're on that ride, you're really in Star Wars. Like, I don't know how they did it. Like it it it, it just is the fact that you're on an attraction leaves your mind. And, and 
I'm still speechless about it. It's an experience. So you start out, the queue takes you like inside the resistance base. Um, And then you're put into a room for your mission briefing, which, oh, cool, BB-8's there. And I was like, awesome, BB-8, yay. And then they start it. And the hologram of Ray blew my mind. I don't know how they pulled it off. Yeah, when we say hologram, we mean hologram. Like they had a holographic projection of her and it it looked like it was blue, it was there, it appeared shimmering in the air, it was Daisy Ridley herself in her costume, and it looked like a Star Wars hologram right in front of our very eyes. Like I don't like know if that, I don't know if that was a Pepper's ghost uh thing on steroids, or if they found some new way to engineer that hologram, but holy crap, it was stunning to look at. Because yeah, yeah. I know, like, museums sometimes do, like, interactive displays with, like, gr- glass screens and different layers of projections. But with those, you could there always was... see the glass. You could always see that. With this thing, no, you just see Ray floating there in space as a blue hologram. No idea how it's happening. No glass. Like, I, I, it looked like a hologram. Yeah. I mean, if you're uh, if you're one of our Patreons on top for the Slack I posted a picture uh, within a thread a while back where I was like, I see to show you guys this one picture. And I showed for reference what it looked like before. And then one, once what it looked like once you had the hologram and like, holy crap. And then just it's cooler. Cause then you go outside and this was the part I knew Brian was going to cry at. And you did. Um, Black one is there. Black was there in all her glory. And it was great. And the amazing thing is you don't see it at first. You actually have to turn. It's like right out of the corner of your eyes on your right-hand side, and then suddenly it's right there. Yeah. And then you're put into... Um, so your resistance members, you're, they're trying to get you off off base like to the rest of the resistance. You get on a shuttle, uh, and then your pilot is Lieutenant Beck, which I will say the animatronics, again, amazing. Even better when it's aliens. Uh... And then the shuttle takes off, and you're in a space battle. Like, you can see, I will say, uh, the best place to stand is in the middle, I think. So you can kind of look both in front of you, behind you, above. Like, there's screens everywhere. Like, you look up, and it's like you're in the freaking space battle. The best way to describe this vehicle is if you think of one of those like airport trains where they have like little poles you can hold on to and that kind of thing. So it's like a standing room shuttle. There are view screens on both sides and on the top. And yeah, like when the space battle is happening and there are lasers shooting back and forth, you can see the lasers flashing above your head. You can see them in front of you and behind you. And heck, even when the ship is taking off, like if you look at the back window, you can see Black Spire behind you slowly disappearing as your ship rises into space. Like it's. You know, it it's like it's like you're taking Star Tours and you're taking it to the much, much, much next level. Because Star Tours always felt like a ride, like you were on a, you know, you were watching a TV screen and it was moving. This felt like you were actually on the shuttle. Yeah. Oh, and even better is again when you go out of the mission briefing room to get on the shuttle, you walk outside. The videos change from daytime to nighttime. So that immersion continues. Fun fact: they actually do the same thing on uh, Smuggler's Run as well. Yeah. Uh, And then what blew my mind, like, completely blew my mind, because if you ride a Disney ride, you know how things go. You go, there are two doors, and on either side. You will go in one door, and you will go out the other. 
No, that's not how this works. Because you get captured by the First Order, and that same door you came in opens again. So, and what's on the other side? A hangar bay. So this shuttle is a legitimate ride vehicle that is rotating, and you don't quite realize it because they've got it perfectly synced up with the videos they're playing everywhere. Like, it, it, I, I'm still not over how they did that. Yeah, it's, to it's, underscore, you're outside at first, you're in the ship, and then the same door, you're in a Star Destroyer. Like, how they, they masked the movement of that vehicle with the space battle and with the ship taking off so much that you, you, you're you just convinced that you actually just landed on a Star Destroyer. It is one of the most clever sleight of hands I have ever seen Walt Disney Imagineering pull off. Yeah. And then, the First Order has captured you. There are all of the cast members you see at that point are in First Order officer uniforms. And, and I was both terrified and gleeful at the same time. Like, I've never been happier to be captured by the First Order because it was the coolest freaking thing. It was gorgeous. You're in this giant First Order hangar bay. And we all know what a First Order Imperial hangar bay looks like, right? It has the blue lights. It has the ribbing on the side. And they built this massive thing that stretches above your head. It goes far in front of you. There's lines of stormtroopers. There's TIE fighters flying in space beyond the hangar bay. Like, that was the part that blew my mind the most. We were inside, like, a freaking the finalizer. It was the finalizer. I was on the finalizer. <laughs> Like, like I, I don't have the proper words to put into perspective just how mind-blowing the scale of just this. It's a holding area. It's a Q holding area. Yeah. And everyone's like all of the cast members. I mean, some are even more perfect than others. Uh, there was a couple there. I was like, I love you. You are perfect. I, I want to talk to you like. From one professional to another, as someone who gets to be a First Order and Imperial officer for the 501st, like, they, it is hard to draw the line between being a character in that sneer and being too mean, and they have it down pat. Oh my, uh, they have received some incredible training, they are, they are some of the best face characters in the whole park, and they're, their their cast members managing the line. It's incredible. Yeah, you're in this first order hallway, which first of all, as someone who's in love with Imperial slash first order architecture, like it looks like you're really in the hallway of a Star Destroyer with all the curved things and all the pill lightings and everything. And the first order officers are processing you for an interrogation, but it's it's masked line management. So, you know, your group goes here, you know, how many are in your party? You go over here, you go with this line. And the way that they've gotten their acting, that's here contemptuous first orderness was spectacular i think one of my favorite moments of the ride was when uh one of our group was saying hey we should take a picture before we get captured and the first order officer walking by just sort of sneered and said you've already been captured <laughs> and the best part was she had on a first order cardigan <laughs> <laughs> it was she got I love Laura dearly, but she had on a General Hugs cardigan. The number of times things happened because of that cardigan and they were just so much more perfect was beautiful. <laughs> uh, I will say it is better for the ride if you go in like being all resistance because um, it just fits with everything. And there's oh, another yeah. story I think we'll tell when we get to the question. Oh, no, let's let's tell it now because Nancy asked uh, her question for us was, are all of the Versios gone? Um. 
So I had the most beautiful encounter with a cast member I will ever, ever have. Uh, when we got off, and Jay was there and witnessed all of this. Uh, I wish someone had been recording. I wore an Inferno Squad jacket because it's me and I had to be like Zay, Zay Miko. And the cast member saw my jacket. And, like, stops in front of me and goes, I thought all of the Versios were gone. And I died. It was the most beautiful thing to ever happen to me. It was just an extraordinary moment because the guy was in character. He had the perfect line. He recognized your uniform. And just, I, I, I that was a magical moment. It really, I I almost collapsed because I was just like, this is so beautiful. I we wish were. we were filming because you were basically, I th- I think you were almost like, like in, in a, in a, like in a, you were just saying this was the best day of your life. And it just like that, if we had, if we had only known that was happening, because it was ugh, yeah. one for, of the record books. For my money, Disney has maybe their most dedicated exemplary cast members working at Galaxy's Edge right now. And this particular cast member went above and beyond. And yeah, we're all going to be sending him a cast compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, so once you go through to the processing and uh, just as a note, there are basically two tracks on the ride. There's the red blue track, which Jay and I were very excited to be on the red, the red line the first red time stripe. around red stripe. Uh, and then there's the orange silver track. Um, they're slightly different events which is different which is odd for disney but like really cool how they pulled it off uh you're put into an interrogation room because they want you to tell them the location of the resistance base and i felt so sorry for the small the family with the small children who were in the room with us when all of a sudden kylo and hux are there Oh, Someone else would have to keep talking because I died. I I think Laura and I are like holding each other and like crying because like, we couldn't stop. And here's yet another just absurdly clever conceit they pull off. Like they shove you into this closed room where they have this display where Kylo and Hawks are being vaguely menacing and threatening, and then uh then you start seeing someone like torch cutting through the wall. Wait, hold on, pause. Even better. Did you notice the shadows? Yes. The, they have them on a screen. They have like the actors have like done this scene, but they're standing up above you. But there's stuff above, like there's kind of like, uh, what are they like bars or something kind of like paneling and you can, their shadows move with them. Like this, we cannot begin to explain to you how immersive this is. The, the attention to detail that has been paid for this attraction is just unparalleled. And like, you know, it's amazing when you're on a ride and you get excited by the shadows because just the the way, the, the verisimilitude of that ride, the fact that those projections are casting shadows on the grating above your head, the fact that you're in this room and the fact that, as Brian was just saying, the the to move you to the next stage, the walls are being cut open with a plasma torch. Like, the coolest thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, just constantly... I, I was just constantly blown away by 
all of the attention to detail. And uh, we got to be clear here. Our minds are blown and we're not even on the ride vehicles yet. That was the part that just, yeah. Like the, the plasma torch thing, you don't even notice. Like when we were on it, I think, Brian, you were standing by the wall, right? Uh, initially, yes. And you dragged yeah. me towards the center of the room. Yeah, or I can't remember who we were with that time, but like whoever, whichever one of us was standing by the wall, I had to like poke you and be like, turn, look, turn around and look. Because they started, you know, you they do it so cleverly and you don't even see a scene there. Um, then you get on the ride vehicle and just in case anyone's wondering, it's what, two, it's two rows of four. Yeah, and you're, you're ushered towards this side room by uh, some resistance uh, resistance sh- soldiers who have uh, gotten on board the ship, and they're just, like, with the utmost urgency saying, move, 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 get onto these ride vehicles, let's go, let's go, let's go, while also doing your safety checks and yeah. making sure you're ready to go. Again, beautifully, wonderfully, perfectly in character. Props to the... Props to everyone who has trained them and created the characters and atmosphere for them. I loved the point where like one of them was saying, Oh yeah, don't worry. We've reprogrammed the droids. Cause there's a droid. I think everyone's seen the ride cars at this point, but there's a droid at the front of it. They're like, yeah, we've rep- reprogrammed the droids. And the other ride operator was like, wait, you, you reprogrammed your droid. You didn't. No, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then you just, you're off. And um, so there's two cars at a time. Uh, and that's where I said, like, the red and blue and the orange and silver kind of come into play. You're going through the finalizer. Like, I... I can't even begin to explain the scale of everything. And, and it makes it made so much more sense when we are on the ride why it had to be trackless and why they've been having issues with it. But, oh my god! It, it is seriously the most ambitious and advanced ride technology I've seen at any theme park attraction anywhere. Yeah, like I, I think I've tried to describe it several times to people, and, and I just lose words at this point because, like, to say that you're driving your speeders through the hallways of a Star Destroyer does not even begin to describe what happens because you're rapidly shifting directions, you're going in different places, different things are happening to you. All of a sudden, you're in like a cavernous ATAT hangar bay, and there are full scales ATAT walkers right above you. And you know that they're real because then you're on a turbo lift being elevated to their head level. And depending on which ride track you're on, different things happen to you. And, then, and they're shooting at you. Yeah, they're shooting at you. So I, I so, don't want to know how they pull that, pull off the burn marks on the wall. Oh, right. I, I, I think it's projection. I think it's projection mapping. So the same stuff they do for like the night shows at Magic Kingdom where they have these insane projectors that can per- that can make anything appear on any surface. I think that's what they're using there. But it looks so real. I know. Um, also, uh, in the ATHE room, that's your chance to f- see Finn. So they have two different animatronics for Finn that you could only see, but you will only see one of them depending on which ride path you're on. Uh, if you're on the red and blue, he's to your left, kind of half behind a wall, like behind a bunch of crates in a wall. He's standing up, though. And if you're on the orange and silver... He's kind of crouched down behind some crates. I am so glad I went into this unspoiled. I did not know Finn was an animatronic going in. Yeah. And he's in like his storm. He's in stormtrooper armor because he's been part of the mission to help you and everything. 
Um, Sidebar. um, I I spent like Nancy and I spent like two and a half years driving past Hollywood Studios to go to Epcot or Magic Kingdom, and it was wild getting to see those ATATs being built uh, before all of the uh, walls had gone up for the show building. And then riding the ride and saying, oh, yeah, we drove past that. Oh. Oh. Oh, that yeah, that was now. that was all exposed in an open air uh, before the ride the ride building was finished. Huh. That makes sense. Now, now I'm remembering hearing about those. That's so cool. Like, oh, man. And yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I can confirm those are to scale and they are massive. Gosh. I I just can't get over like I want to talk more about the ride, but like Kylo confronts you at one point. There's Kylo and Huck's animatronics at one point, which is another point where I was like, oh my god, look at him. <laughs> look at them, my sons. Pride is not the word I'm looking for. Um It was just so cool. And everything, and it's kind of like to the extent of how they do Flight of Passage, where you can feel the wind, you can feel the heat of everything. I, yeah, I like could a, ride that ride five times in a day and not get bored of it. There's like a space battle happening outside you, and you're 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 seeing the ships, you're seeing the gun turrets, like like it, seeing seeing the gun turrets fire inside the ship like at one point you're going through like a hallway where the gun turrets are and you see them blasting with recoil and you're driving between them as they're blasting with recoil and you're seeing the shots hit the ship the ship is having explosions and damage at one point it's venting air and you feel the wind going past you like it is a phenomenal like out of this world experience the fact that like you you feel like you're in that space battle I mean, I'm going to yeah. need to ride this like six, seven more times to catch all the details. There's no way to catch on just one ride through. Yeah, I mean, I so for cel- when we go to celebration in Anaheim in August, I was very eh, whatever, like, I guess about doing the Disneyland at the, the night event where I'm assuming they're going to let you ride the ride. And now I was like, no, I have to do whatever I can to ride that ride again. Like I immediately texted myself, the friends I'm rooming with for celebration, like we need to get those tickets. Like, let's do it. And I may have started planning another trip down because I just want to ride that ride again and experience Batu so much. And they made me invested in Lieutenant Beck. Right? I was so worried about him. Oh man. I just, I, I don't know what else to say about that ride, except holy crap. I, like, uh, like I said before, I'm a theme park snob. It takes a lot to impress me. I, I don't know how Disney's ever going to top this. No, I don't either. It's one of those rare occasions that, like, I, I almost felt like the hype undersold it because there was a lot of hype about this. And, I, you know, I tried not to read the reviews or the spoilers, and I was still completely blown away by what we did there. And this was after, you know, doing – I mean, this was – I mean, we, we wrote it, like, earlier in the day. But, like, this is including everything we did at Galaxy's Edge, like, Rise of the Resistance is just, like – if Galaxy's Edge is, like, Star Wars magic, Rise of the Resistance is, like – somehow some way another step even beyond that yeah yeah like it's it's the rise of the resistance is the most impressive feat of theme park engineering i've ever seen 
it's it it's accomplished a level of immersion that I did not think was possible. And yeah, uh, you, you can see why Disney bet big on this because, um, the bar has been raised for Disney for universal. And I cannot wait to see what everyone tries to do to top this. Yeah. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to overhype it for you guys, but it was not to get all sappy on everyone, but, and I guess this is kind of about the time we stop, we stop talking about Rise of Resistance spoilers. Um, but as a whole, I, I was sort of freaking out about turning 30 this year and I'm, I'm the youngest of this, of the podcast hosts. And so my plan about a year and a half ago was, okay, screw it. Galaxy's Edge should be open. I'm gonna go to Galaxy's Edge for my birthday. I'm gonna grab some friends. We're all gonna go down, and it'll be it'll be it'll be fine. Like I'll just I'll cope with this landmark birthday by being a Star Wars. And it both Batu and Rise of the Resistance exceeded my expectations so much. I I couldn't have possibly asked for anything better. And I don't say that lightly because I had a year long existential crisis freak out about turning 30 and Batu made it all okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Galaxy's Edge is an incredible experience. I know there's privilege involved in being able to afford to go there, but wow. It's this, is this is the experience I've dreamed of since I was a kid watching Star Wars on VHS in the living room, being able to go to a Star Wars land, and Galaxy's Edge and Batu delivers more than I could ever have hoped for. It's one of those things that sort of reawakens your love of Star Wars because a lot of things go on with Star Wars that can either burn you out or, or make you sort of, you know, turn away for a little while. And, and that experience of being there in Galaxy's Edge just brings all those feelings back. It brings back the feelings of childhood. It brings back the feelings of friendship, like being able to go there with friends who love Star Wars just as much, seeing their first reactions, seeing your first time in the park, Bria, or seeing Brian and Nancy react to seeing to, to seeing Black One. Like it's not just your own joy. It's seeing the joy in your friends as they experience all that. And just like being able to share that with people. Um it, it, it's it's like nothing else. And I, I am so grateful that we got to we got to go and do this. And I'll tell you what my favorite thing to do at Galaxy's Edge now is, since I'm lucky enough that I can go there whenever I've got time, I love sitting or just standing around the corner of uh, Ronto Roasters and watching people turn that corner and see the Falcon for the first time. And Mm. without fail, from young kid young boys and girls to grown ass adults just watching them melt into sheer joy and happiness when the falcon just fills their view i think i basically sat down on my heels when i saw the falcon i don't actually remember yeah uh, i 
because uh, it's just so over like you think you think you know how it's going to feel you don't like you know what's there but nothing prepares you to see that hunk of junk in a her glory just sitting there right in front of you yep and like oh, major props to all the Imagineers who put this together and all the cast members who day in and day out sell the thing. Like it would be very easy for this place to be a, a hokey, you know, experience to, to not look good, to feel very forced. They sell it from the stormtroopers to the retail employees, to the servers, the people running the rides. Like they all have their A plus game on there and they really make that experience feel special. And you know what the most special part about two is? The refreshers. Oh my God! The refreshers. <laughs> the She's not kidding. Refreshers. That is not a joke. They you are... thought I was. You thought we were gonna get through this episode without me talking about the refreshers, because even the bathrooms are themed. And if you think I didn't make a refresher course joke at least five times when we are there, you are absolutely wrong. You don't know me and know what an X-wing fan I am. Fantastic. Yep. And on that note, anything else, you guys? Any last words? Except for a refresher course. I love Galaxy's Edge. I loved Galaxy's Edge even more than I love staying on an Elsa again, and that is a big deal. Whoa! Oh, he's not kidding, by the way. We we had fast passes for the Frozen sing-along that afternoon. We canceled the fast passes because we all wanted to stay in Galaxy's Edge, even Jay. If that ain't a testament for what Galaxy's Edge has pulled off, I don't know what to tell you. Nope. Yeah, I we gotta end there. We, we gotta. It's a perfect note to end on. Yeah, so uh, next episode, we're finally going to talk about The Rise of Skywalker because, you know, we're a Star Wars podcast. So obviously we have to talk about The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, if anyone's got any questions for us uh, for that episode or they just want to say something to us, tweet them to us via the Tasha Station account. Uh, use the hashtag KanjiCast. And yeah. All right, so this episode of the Conjecast has been brought to you in part by you, our Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com slash Station. Get in at the $1 level, and you can, you know, talk to us all about Galaxy's Edge and other such fun stuff. Uh, we're part of the Tashi Station Network. If you like what you hear, do leave a review uh, on Twitter. You can find us with the handles Tashi Station official show account, Lane Winry. That's me, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. Jay is Admiral Jello. Bria is Chaos Bria. Uh, again, the mega feed, the Tashi Station Radio mega feed on the iTunes store is where you can find us. Also on Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast episodes. Uh, and you can find our columns and news at TashiStation.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll catch you all next time.